Thundergrunt Podcast Network. The ice and snow. We shall trek. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I think they got it. Curioso. A curioso is someone who inquires in esoteric matters. A collector of knowledge. Curioso it is cold outside. It is. It's cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> we don't normally break into song like that. <laughs> no. We are back again with another Curioso. And this is uh, the last Curioso episode of the year. And since it's super cold outside where we are, and since this one comes out on December 24th, the day before Christmas, we wanted to talk a little bit about the snow, the ice, and the coldness. And possibly death and freezing water and long excursions, horrible food. It and, sounds like Christmas, right? And Jeff, Jack Frost never get your news. <laughs> yeah. And not the horror movie, the, the other one with Michael Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But it's not just me and Joe today. We have another guest. This is two in a row. We've had a guest on. I'm number two. Well, I'm guest number two. Well, here, no, I'm just saying. So uh, we have our our good buddy Jason Cavine. Cavine, return, Kavane. return, return. I'm a little, guest. I'm a little snotty. It's it just like came out funky. Me and my Ray he corrected me it's on like his name when that I sucks. Uh, mispronounced uh, Ray's last name. He immediately corrected me snidely. Remember? Yeah. I oh, called he did. Him, like Wooten or something. Yeah, you were like you're you're Ray Wooten, right? And he was like Wooten. Well, rooting. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a pass. It's Cavane. It's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> but I you was... are in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's spelled the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? House and Cavane are not spelled the same. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So um, uh, we had Jason along because specifically he, uh, you know, besides being into feet, right? Yeah, I'm a foot man. You know, besides yep. being into feet, he's also really into history. Mm-hmm. And today's episode is going to be all about history. It's going to be all about polar expeditions. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a few different polar expeditions, a few things to watch out for if you go on polar expeditions, and uh, a few things that you might need to take along. Okay, so historically, a polar expedition, quote-unquote, if you can't see my fingers, it's basically to explore the polar regions of our planet. Uh, that would be the North Pole mm-hmm. and the South Pole. Right. Uh, that is all my research. I'm done for the night. <laughs> uh, so what are, what are we talking about? What This is not trekking through downtown Baltimore. This mm-hmm. is not trekking through parts of Texas. This is probably some of the most inhospitable places on the planet. Well, you get down to temperatures – that are well below freezing. I mean, in we're the talking double digits, negative double yeah, digits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking about you know at least zero degrees Fahrenheit, which is way below double digits. You know, that's you know, freezing. Is it what thirty two degrees Fahrenheit? Mm-hmm. Right. You it's know? relatively warm considering what North and South Pole do. Yeah. So I mean, you're you're talking way below that. Right. So and with uh, Celsius for you know everyone in, in uh, 
Canada and the rest of the world that listen to us, that is, uh, you know, your freezing is at zero. So zero degrees Fahrenheit, you're talking like 30 degrees below, something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know? Now take, take if in not a, more. Now take into account the, uh, the time difference. Some of the most harrowing expeditions to the, the poles were done in a time where we didn't have satellites. We didn't have GPSs. Hell, we didn't have, uh, you know, thermal underwear and, you know, Tyvek and, you know, any of the, the technologically advanced stuff we have now. And even now it's hard to do, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and we haven't done like a mountain climbing episode. Like, you know, I'd eventually like to maybe do one about, um, you Everest. know, Mount Everest or mm-hmm. something like K2, that. But, yeah. yeah. You K2, know what I mean? Yeah. K1. K1, K2. Yeah. 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 Those are awful. I don't... Okay. <laughs> Part of the Himalayan mountain range. Luck jerk. if I climb my stairs. Uh, so, but anyway, um, uh, going to a pole, exploring the poles, exploring uh, Antarctica and Arctica. What's the other one? Arctic. And the Arctic. Arctic. And the Arctic. That's what I said. I was right on with that. <laughs> so okay. uh, now the Arctic is the one that's... The North Pole? It's the yes. North Pole, yes. And then the Antarctic is the South Pole. Yep. Not the A-N-T, Ant. the Ant, or the Aunt. It's the Anti-Arctic. Anti. Because it's the opposite. A-N-T-I. That's what I said, Not the Anti-Arctic. A-U-N-T. Not the Anti-Arctic. It's my old Antarctic. The Antarctic. Old Antarctic. She's a frigid old lady. She's a cold bitch. Well, we've been trying to traverse places on this planet since the dawn of man. Right. Back to, you know, 330 BC, uh, we had, you know, Greek merchants trying to explore northern parts of Britain all the way up through Scotland uh, to Norway. And then we even had, you know, 983 AD where you had uh, Eric Throvensen or Eric the Red. Eric the Red, yeah. The Red. Yep. He grew up in Iceland. And he was pretty close to that area of the Arctic. So even even back then, they were exploring and seeing how far they could go. Eric the Red had something where he was... Didn't he get... He got um, sent away for murdering his sister-in-law or something yeah, like that? Yeah, he got exiled to Iceland. Yeah, he got exiled and basically moved to Iceland, Iceland and, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah, started, originally started a colony there. Yeah, or yeah. Right? originally Norwegian and then settled in Iceland after the exile. But, Is that was he called Eric the Red because he? I think he was a ginger. Yeah, he, he I think it was a red beard. If I if I remember, yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't because he made the red flow. No, no, I don't think it was a blood reference. Oh, all right. <laughs> kind of would have been cooler sure if it was. was. His name, yeah. <laughs> Along the history of expeditions, in in the course of human existence, you've got to figure you know, to to man's capability throughout time. We've always tried to press the limit and find. Take it to the limit. Take it to the limit. <laughs> and so in, in, in the time of these expeditions, and, and namely the expeditions I think we're going to focus on tonight around the early 1900s, late 1800s. I think that's when the most like, yeah. crazy, like, we got to get there. Right. It was kind of the, well, not necessarily the wild, wild west, but it was the last frontier, essentially, right, that, right. that had not been. To fill in the maps. Right. And it was mm-hmm. almost like a land rush, but they knew it was in an inhospitable place. They still wanted to claim success on being the first country to reach these these places. Oh yeah, they and, wanted and to, to plant flag their flag. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and the extremes that these people would go to to get that glory for themselves and for their country, 
the harshness, the the inhospitable territories that mm-hmm. they they endured, and some of the stories that come out of these are just in, incredible because you're not dealing with normal conditions by far. It's it's yeah. the antithesis of normal. It's yeah. absolutely inhospitable. And in doing the research for this, it was it was insane to hear these stories and and to to actually find successes of people that that had that had seen the edge mm-hmm. of of existence and lived to tell about it, right? You know, and came we, through, and came yeah, through, made it back. That's right. that's the thing that gets me because a lot of people that went did not make it back. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, plenty. And they're still down there, frozen in the ice, <laughs> floating around in the ice flows. Right. Yeah, very much like uh, the people in Everest. Yeah, you know, just leave same them. thing. Can't find them. You know, you, you just don't have the power and the energy to drag someone's body back, you know, mm-hmm. or you, your dogs don't, or, you know, you're, you can't really throw it on your back. Right. You know, so, or the bodies, that is. You know what I mean? Well, there was times in these stories where there's there there's people that are stranded, and they're stranded knowing that there's no one coming. There's yeah. no there's no hope. There's nobody that's around the corner. Mm. You're thousands of miles from the closest person who's thousands of miles from the closest civilization and right. nobody's coming for you. And right. to be able to walk out of that and to tell your story, that's mm. incredible. Early 1900s was probably the the pinnacle of polar expeditions. Now, as for the North Pole, there was a bit of a battle with where um you had Frederick Cook and Robert Perry, who both claimed they had made it to the North Pole successfully. Frederick Cook accomplished the, the task with two Inuit men by April 21st, 1908. But that's generally doubted because on April 6th of 1909, Robert Perry claimed he was the first. From what I understand is Cook actually didn't make it to the magnetic north. Mm-hmm. He was shy maybe 100 miles or something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, Perry actually... Well, what a bitch oh, to but be that, shy like that. A lot of these, they were, you know, a couple hundred miles away or just over this mountain range or, you know, 80 miles across the ocean. You know, there was this. It, they were so close. But Always so close. <laughs> the thing that confused me the most along these lines is how would they know? You're looking at a desolate landscape, and there's no marker. There's mm. no Santa's hut that says, hey, you've reached the North <laughs> right. Pole. The North Pole. It was all done through... Sextons. Sextons, correct. Uh, compasses. Right. Now, when anywhere uh, near the North Pole and the South Pole, you have a lot of magnetic interference, mm-hmm. where basically the old-timey compasses, they just spin crazy. Just, right. You know... So you because you're so close to the pole, right? The magnetic, the magnetic pole. north and south, yes, yeah, right. So anything that was, you know, uh, a magnetic mechanism, like a compass, old style compass, you knew you were getting close when your compass would start doing a bunch of weird stuff. Sure, you know. Also, too, if in the distance you see that, um, you know, the candy striper pole mm-hmm. sitting there, we were just talking about that. That is a big, you know, sign that right. you're close. We're getting yeah. closer. You know what I mean? Hear ho 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 and jingle bell. You know, you mostly see that red. You know what I mean? You know, the white might not stand out. That's so a bad. mirage. Yeah. It's either it's either that or a wampa. It's a snow mirage. Yeah. Either way, you're probably losing an arm. But yeah, and a, a sexton that basically tells you the position. You follow the position of the sun, right? To triangulate 
and coordinate your, your position, position on the planet. Right. Based on usually charts, you know, mm-hmm. where you, it, it's like um, you have a key on a map. Yeah. It'll tell you, you know, this many feet for this many inches on your map or whatever. Sure. Basically the same kind of system. But old timey, looking at the sun, watching, you know, shadows, looking at yeah. stars. It, this is how the the Vikings would traverse most of their seas. Right. So it was it was ancient. Yeah. You yeah. Know. But they, the one of the main things that I pulled was that every expedition had to have a chief meteorologist like yes. Tom Tasselmeyer. He would have to be on our <laughs> That's our, our one of our local <laughs> we ones. We would have to pull him on. Right. And they were vital to these expeditions. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. were one of the top 3 men in the group. Yeah. It was it was the meteorologists the group leader who always seemed to be kind of just a bold character mm. with a lot of drive. Yeah, a lot of charisma. And, yeah. Right, and then they'd have the scientist, you know, yeah. who yeah. was there to perform feats and yeah, and, and then, new tests. And then you had all the, you know, the the skipper, you right. know, or the captain. Right, who That dog. was just, just the guy to handle the boats, you know. <laughs> but he knew his boats, he knew his, his seat. It's like me, I, I'd be a... I'd be like Mitch Hedberg, man. I'm just going to go stay at base camp. <laughs> You're going up soon? Soon. You know what I mean? I'd just be the dude with the boats. You know, right. what I mean? you know. You know tying some knots back of the boats. I'll see you back here. There's also another thing called uh, dead reckoning that a lot of these guys used, especially when they had problems with the sex tents and stuff like that. And it and wasn't that horrible was it, semi-truck was like a... in, in that <laughs> god-awful zombie movie. Remember? No, I thought like, that was a, like a, vi- a terrible video game. It was, a it was, game for a it while, was, yeah. but it was also like a semi truck for a zombie movie. Oh, okay, called it Dead. It was horrible. <laughs> I, I never saw it, and I'm glad I didn't. Uh, but no, Dead Reckoning is basically calculating. Guessing. Yeah, well, it's calculating <laughs> your current position uh, using a previously determined position or a, a fixed spot, mm-hmm. um, and it's you you base it upon. An estimated speed over an elapsed time course. Yeah, but that's that only works when you have a point of reference, fixed position. Yeah. Now, if you're some of these, if you're in an open, flat, desolate snowbank or you know uh, sheets of ice, mm-hmm. and there's nothing, no points of reference other than maybe a couple of little chunks of ice sticking up right. in the distance, which will move because <laughs> they're <laughs> yeah because you're, you're on walking a, on an ocean. Yeah, you're walking on a frozen <laughs> ocean. Uh, yeah, dead reckoning kind of makes sense, the wording, because, you know, you reckon it's that way, but you're dead (laughs) if you get it wrong. This is true. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Same with the open ocean. You know, back then, if you weren't, if you didn't have a good navigator, you didn't have, you know, a good skipper, then you were SOL. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And this is before SOS. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You were talking about Cook and Perry. Yeah. Cook, actually, the reason why he... He was forced because of terrible weather conditions to winter over in an ice cave. Oh, this happens a lot. I've, all the research I found, and you're not talking like a couple of days. No, months. You're talking months in a some, cave. Some of these guys have been on ice shelves or in ice caves or under boats for months, waiting yeah. for weather to clear up mildly, just so that they don't step out and immediately freeze to death. Exactly. So, yeah, go on. I'm just trying to get people in the frame of mind. But it it was a week later, and I think you already gave the date. It was Robert Perry. He was a civil engineer, and then he announced that he made it to the North Pole, Mm -hmm. accompanied by his longtime companion, Matthew Matthew Henderson, and he denounced Cook as a fraud. Henson. That's what I said, Henson. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
But um, one of the things was is that Perry had some very powerful sponsors, including the New York Times as well as the National Geographic Society. Right. So they were a little bit more inclined to believe his campaign. Yeah. Well, and it's, here's the other thing. Uh, Roald Amundsen, he was a Norwegian explorer, and he was also in the running to get to the North Pole. Mm-hmm. So, like we were saying, it's kind of all everybody's trying to get their piece of the pie and their flag and everything at, at that same time. Uh, with the whole mess with Perry and Cook, Amundsen actually changed his plans because he was headed there to make a run for it, and then he found out about Perry and Cook. He changed his plans and decided to make a, an expedition to the South Pole because no one had done that yet. Right, but I, from my understanding, he didn't tell his crew that that was the case up until right. like the boat was pushing off. Like, <laughs> right. hey guys, guess what? That's where we're going. <laughs> we're going to go south. <laughs> right. We're going to go really far south. Right. <laughs> I think that's kind of hilarious. Yeah, it Joke's is Joke's on you. <laughs> yeah, you're stuck on the boat now. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. I've absconded with a whole crew. <laughs> From what I can gather, Amundsen was a hell of a man. I mean, yeah. the guy was kind of all over the place. I mean, yeah. you got to figure, he's trying to go north. Mm-hmm. Ah, scuttle that idea. Let's just head as far south as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And let's do it in record time. I mean, the guy was really... Well, and he also, he, from what I remember, is he took a different approach. Where most of the expeditions at the time uh did sort of the the siege method. Mm. We'll, we will take every single thing we can, our buttons, our nannies, our, you know, dogs, whatever we want, you know. Right. Tons and tons and tons of equipment on these gigantic boats. He took a different approach and wanted to do sort of a stripped-down, sort of minimalist right. version of that. And he actually succeeded. succeeded. Yeah. But there was a reason why. He actually did a layover pretty close to the to the South Pole. I think it was near Chile, where he met a bunch of Inuits and basically decided to stay and learn how these people live. Because everything he read before that was basically the Inuits are savages and they shouldn't be trusted and yada, yada, yada. He was like, no, they're living out here. They're living out in a place where we want to get to the center of. So we need to learn every single thing we can from the people who live here. So he took a radical different approach to it and basically learned how to hunt, how to... The funny thing was they didn't know... They had sledges, right? Yeah. So if you're on on these old sledges, they're carrying easily a ton of equipment. Uh, So they started trying to pull these sledges with, with dogs. It wasn't working. They were getting basically like pulling a one-ton sledge in sand until the Inuits were like, oh, there's a trick. You take some some seaweed and some water and you rub it on the bottom of the sled and you basically make an ice sheet and it'll just glide across the ice. Mm-hmm. And he's like, holy crap. You know, so basically <laughs> he, he's learning all these little tips and tricks to live out and be out there on very little provi- provisions. And yeah, he made it in record time, and the guy who was also trying to get to the South Pole, he was beat out by Robert Scott by five weeks or something. Yeah, five weeks. Yeah, and he gets there, and boop, pole. I think Amundsen took the win in Rome approach. 
you know? Yeah. When in Rome, yeah. do as the Romans do. He, yeah. he then, went about it in that sense of the, of the matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, being Norwegian, he also, uh, from my understanding, used skis, which was foreign to, not necessarily foreign to the English, but just not a, a used approach. Right. Well, he was Norwegian, so they they Norwegian. had skis. Yeah, exactly. You know? So he knew how to traverse ice. He was mm-hmm. used to the cold. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy had tried already at the North Pole. He, he, he's used to the... Yeah, and he also used the, the method of uh, what's called manholing. <laughs> man hauling. Well, I've heard it man holing. Oh. Man holing. <laughs> yeah, but man-hauling. basically, basically, you are now the pack dog. Right. You know, so it was a group of two or three dudes hauling the sledge behind. Right. And know? they said that those those sledges would weigh up to, like you said, a ton. A ton. A ton. Yeah. And these, when we're talking about the traverses of the land, these aren't 60 mile approaches. These are hundreds of miles across a desolate landscape. Yeah, the the weird thing is when Scott finally got to to the the South Pole, that's when you know things took a worse turn for his party mm-hmm. on their return Terra Nova expedition. Yes, the Terra Nova. So they said that they got there, and when they got there, they of course you know they're hoping to be the first ones, and they. Hey, we're close, boys. We're close. And mm-hmm. then they get there, and there's a tent in the ground, and a Norwegian flag flying above the tent, and they like, realize they've motherfucker. lost. <laughs> they've lost. It's a motherfucker situation, yeah, you know? But they were all in good health. You yeah. know, they had gone to plan at this point. There were still five men on this expedition that mm-hmm. were in, in, in basically good shape. And they, they proceeded to do their scientific experiments. That was one of the other reasons to go down there. Right. They had been commissioned by the, the um, not the queen, but the monarchy of England you know they it was actually yeah the queen actually gave basically her blessing right and Um, a lot of funding behind this too you know to be if you hopefully the first down there plant the English flag for God and country and if not well do these things you know and and they had while you're there capable scientists (laughs) they proceeded to do their their experiments and turn around and they had Mm -hmm. the route mapped out pretty well but what they didn't expect was the Turner weather, and yeah. it really caught up with them. I mean, yeah. you got to figure in in an Antarctic condition. From my research, they said that you can expect temperatures of like negative twenty degrees Fahrenheit, and that's hospitable. Mm. It's not it's not great, but it's hospitable. <laughs> right, man. I, that's the kind of stuff where you like you pee, and it freezes before it hits the ground. Yeah, it's just but a I mean stream you can, of ice. Yeah, but you can. Feasibly, you'll actually live in it. You can get right. through it. Yeah. But what had happened was they hit temperatures that were negative 30, negative 35 plus. Right. His meteorologist on that expedition uh, was almost spot on. Mm-hmm. Like, And he did uh, a year before just tracking temperatures with other parties that were going in to drop off supplies. Okay. So uh, one of the other things about these ex- expeditions, you would send in a party – not necessarily to the center of the poles. You would but send them in kind of close, a few hundred miles, and then basically make a, a depot drop, a base camp kind yeah, of yeah, a, a supply right. drop. So when you're trekking in, you know you at least have you know a can of beans waiting for you a hundred miles you know due south. Mm-hmm. You know at your to resupply basically. Yeah. So there was a few of those. Now on this expedition. The meteorologist had a bunch of data from the previous year. His predictions for their year of expedition were almost spot on, like minus like three degrees, Mm -hmm. you know? Problem was, that year was probably one of the worst years at at the South Pole ever 
recorded based on the, the temperature swings right. and, you know, the wind and all the other stuff. So he couldn't predict that. So if it was a normal year, it would have been fine. Right. Absolutely fine. You know, the, the weird thing that I heard is that it was the lack of wind that did them in. Mm-hmm. In the Antarctic, it is completely different. It, you, the wind brings heat. Right. From the, from the ice shelf down from either mountains or the, the sea, it'll bring in warmth. Right. There's like a sandwich layer. Yes. And when there's no motion in the air, it creates a cold temperature that stays stagnant right there on the level well that's it why drops they, right right so right. it just sits there on the it's ice just and like it, it's the reflection of the sandwich. ice there's a lot that has to go into this climatology but basically they were stuck in a situation where the normal temperatures should have been about 15 to 20 degrees hotter than they were right and that 15 to 20 degree difference made it, it was death essentially it was death yeah. Yeah. they went through frostbite they went through malnourishment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and they couldn't dry their clothes, especially their socks. Yeah, yeah. socks were of vital importance. The ability to dry your socks at nighttime. Now, here's here's the thing. One of the great things that you're you're on this episode for all expeditions, whether it's jungle climate, mountainous climate, or Arctic climate, the most important tool that you have to traverse those things your is your feet. Your feet. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like because once you run out of you know, the ponies and the dogs and everything else, all you have left are your own, yeah, your own two feet. And, you know, these guys were, the planned mileage that they had to do per day was upwards of 10 to 15 miles per day. Which isn't terrible. It's not terrible, especially considering the The conditions. Oh, yeah. Now, if you are refined to frostbitten toes, you can't dry your feet out, you're talking, you might make it, 500 yards in a day yeah you know and that compared to 10 miles yeah that's death that's oh, yeah. that, that's death and and you only it's it's funny to read these guys's diaries as they go on because mm-hmm. there's so much optimism and they tend to be it's funny because of the, the kind of the, the era of the times the way that they word themselves and the way mm-hmm. they speak the vernacular they use there's always a little bit of optimism in it but well, you yeah. can see that optimism dropping out yeah. as things become worse and as they realize you know they're not going to make it out of the situation Mm -hmm. and with scott's party going back you know they had a good run they made it to where they needed to go they accomplished all their goals Mm -hmm. and they even had a beginning of the trip that was good going back but they had a five-man tour all five of them ended up perishing and they they kept the diary as this happened Mm -hmm. and if you read the diary and, and you listen to the way that it that they worded it you can see the hope just fade yeah, you know, yeah, and very Victorian era you know, terms. <laughs> right. The hope is just dropping out. There's right. no motherfuckers. There's no, 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 no. You know, there's not there's a whole a, lot of anger. There's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, and dark days were coming. <laughs> yeah. You know, th- those kinds of things. You know, exactly, exactly. I couldn't see the light in his eyes anymore. <laughs> You know, it's very, it's very somber. There's one guy in the camp that was, uh, you know, he had been dealing with frostbite for days. And, you know, they're trying to rally their troops, essentially. They'd already lost one guy. And he was, I think he was the second one to go out of them all. Yeah. And they had been trying to nurse this guy back, you know, and and trying to keep his spirits up and everything else. And you got essentially four (laughs) guys trying to rally. And the one guy, you know, for three or four days is just sucking high tick. He's not doing well. Right. And the final day, you know, they, they're all sitting around in their tents. He says, I'm going to go outside and take a walk. And they never saw him again. Yeah. And they basically, yeah. they knew exactly what he had done. He had taken a hero's walk and been, mm-hmm. he knew he was holding the party back. He just said, hey, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm out. Yep. And walked to He didn't death. want to slow him down, basically. Right. right. And then what was it? Uh, like a week later? 
uh, Scott himself started to have really bad frostbite. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then it got worse and worse and worse. And they made camp, precarious, you know, camp. And basically they were at that camp for a couple of weeks trying and, and trying to, you know, nurse him back to health so he could walk again. Basically, it was down to three at that point. Mm-hmm. And the journals basically make it sound like Scott was, you know, kind of like, maybe tomorrow we'll go. Maybe <laughs> tomorrow we'll go. Uh, we've decided to stay in. Right. Forever. Well, and- <laughs> you know, and the other two were like, we're not going down without our captain. You know, right, basically right. the captain of the expedition. We're not, we're not leaving. We're going down with the ship too. Well, the, the interesting thing about these parties was that at the, at the very tail end, you know, they, they started off with 16 men. Right. You know, and we're, all 16 are going to make this, this hike. And we're talking, essentially what Scott had to do was walk 2,000 miles. Yeah. They're trying to walk 2,000 miles in a, well, Arctic temperatures. Actually, there, there's one thing that I, I think you guys missed, but when Scott did his, his uh, Antarctic when he was trying to get to the pole, right. he actually had, so he had two dog teams, mm-hmm. ten ponies to pull supplies. Which they ate along the way. Well, hold on. I was going to get to that. <laughs> he also relied on man-hauling. Man-hauling. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but the, here's the other thing. And he he based this on Shackleton's expedition to the South Pole, right? Which okay. Shackleton actually didn't make it. No, yeah, he made it he to like ninety-seven it. miles away. Right, but and then they, they had to the turn around. Route, right, right. Okay, but he used he also used motorized sledges, which were a brand new addition. They were this right. new thing. Right. Did you guys see pictures of these? Mm-hmm. No, I've, I've never seen the picture of the motorized. Do you come around here for a second? Jason's at the other edge of the table. He's got to come around here. It basically looks like a. Like a tank tread. It looks like one tread of a oh, snowcat. No, had... oh, it's it's wow. one tread of a snowcat. So yeah, so well, it's got two treads. Oh, it does. One okay. on either side. Yeah, yeah. Steam or diesel power, Chris? Oh, that I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's probably diesel. I would think so. Diesel. Yeah. But here's the problem is because of the icy weather, they broke down like almost immediately. <laughs> right, because they weren't so those machines. They worked well in England. <laughs> right. Yeah. In the in the foggy, you know, mild climate of England. But they were not tested for, you know, double digit below zero climates. Well Chris, getting back to what you were talking about, you know, yeah. the dogs and the ponies and all these these different sources, they were planned on as being Vital to getting there, but also vital for getting through. Fresh right. meat, fresh well, meat. Here's that's your, that's the craziest thing. No, you're you're talking stages. Okay, you're not you're not. It's like the space shuttle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Like you know, it, this At one this shoots you up, and then this one breaks off yeah, and deploys. Right. Right? Exactly. So it, it's the same thing. You start off on the ground with a bajillion pounds of fuel, and you're this little tiny ship, you know, locked and loaded on you know three thousand tons of fuel. As you go up, you know, everything falls apart, and then you're this little tiny ship, and you come floating back down to Earth, hopefully. Uh, same with these expeditions. It was that the siege, the, the you know, conquer and siege uh, method. You take everything with you all at once, and then as you get through, you slowly dole it out, and by the time you actually reach your, your goal, you're down to a, a moderate you know, amount of hey, stuff. You're down to like people. three dudes. <laughs> Hopefully. Three dudes living four off fingers. Meat, yeah. You know? Four fingers and no toes. Right. Four fingers and probably a nose missing too. Right. So, so here's like a general diet of both uh, Scott and what is it, Amerson's? Amundsen? Amundsen. Yeah. It, this is like their general diet of what they would eat. So 
um, a high. They would try to have a high calorie diet because yes. when you're shivering constantly, you need a high calorie. diet. And I can attest to that. Uh, I've done many cold camping trips, and if you are not warm, if you do not eat something, if you're cold, if you eat something, your your core temperature goes up. Yeah. It will help keep you warm throughout the night because your body is digesting. Right. And you need high caloric intake if you are walking anywhere close to 5, 10, 15 miles a day. You need that. Right. You need that chili bowl, son. Well, More then, than chili bowl. And exponentially <laughs> increase that because you're dealing with negative 20 degree temperatures. Yeah, exactly. Know? I mean, you're, yeah. you're frigid. So here's, you're talking here's like your... four or 5,000 calories a day. At least. Easy. So here's your general diet. Uh, a diet of pemmican. Which pemmican? I know this from uh, watching James Townsend and Beef Sons. Beef jerky? It's no. Pe- it's, is it like spotted dick? No, no. I know what it Dude, is. I hope you don't have a spotted dick. <laughs> no, it's fat mixed with ground beef. So it's basically that ground beef, like the fat that's in ground beef. When you cook yeah, it, yeah, you just yeah. kind of leave it all together. Ew. And that's pemmican. That's uh, yucky. It's um, better than dog foot, though. You would have a. You'd have. It's like dog food. You would have a biscuits, sugar, butter. Hot tea, cocoa to drink, mm-hmm. which is, I think, is really funny. So, all these guys brought hot cocoa. Yeah. They drank hot cocoa all okay. the time. You, which, that was a thing in, especially in, in England, hot cocoa was a thing. Yeah. That's well, I mean, tea and hot right cocoa. There and tea. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the ponies. And, uh, and, of course, as we had mentioned, the dogs mm-hmm. were a point of fresh meat. Yeah, for, and also, for the men and as well the scraps were given to the dogs so that they keep their diet up because they're going to be pulling sledges right you know what i mean right which is hard freaking work yeah i would they, say the dogs worked harder than the guys did most of the yeah time. well yeah, yeah i would Unless say man hauling they were there was a point getting back to scott and in, in his final days when they were they had dropped they had lost they'd eaten all their dogs and ponies so they were right. down to to four guys mm-hmm. and they said that basically what had happened the temperatures had dropped so far that there was a crystallization over the ice pack. Right. And that crystallization essentially made pulling these sledges and they're, they're like they're, sand, like yeah. sand. They said, put two, 200 pound men, six foot tall, mm-hmm. 200 pound men in a tub with no legs. Right. And then take that into a sand, the sand dude. dunes <laughs> right. and put it on your shoulders and yeah. try to carry it. Friction. And you, you, you couldn't, couldn't do it. it. Yeah. Right. So that's what these guys had run into. And they mm-hmm. basically had to abandon all their supplies to try to move forth. Right. Because, as we talked about earlier, nobody's coming to get them. They right. can't just button down and, and wait it out. Right. They had no cell phones. Right. So <laughs> these guys, that's the conditions that you're trying to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, which way do you go? If you're presented with that situation, either you carry this impossible load or you right. push on without any I real mean, hope. It, it, you know, with the with the diet stuff, they had things like alcohol. They had some beers. Mm-hmm. Lots of stouts were on board, at least the ships. There was also the, the fact of shooting and killing things along the way. Not just the ponies and the dogs. Penguins. Penguins, sea lions, uh, seabirds. That was a huge part of, of a lot of these dietary things for these expeditions. Where if they're weird yucky little rations needed to be held off for the last resort they would track down like you said penguins sea lion you know all those things first and the cool thing was is they had uh they would make things like blubber stoves mm-hmm. where it's basically a little stove that uses you know sea lion blubber whale blubber whatever kind of fat you'd render it down and make an oil 
you know, and then you combustible. Yeah, it's combustible. So they could cook their other food, like the sea lion steaks or the penguin steaks. Penguin liver, I heard, was a delicacy. Yeah, yeah, but they could (laughs) they could cook it with these blubber stoves. They had basically fashioned out of other like tin cans and things. Uh, So you have this this sort of uh, MacGyver ingenuity with this tenacity of exploration and scientific, you know, exploration. But you also had to deal with Mother Nature. Yeah, the X Factor. Yeah, stepping on you the entire time. (laughs) The X Factor, which was just the unaccountable, it's the X, it's the unknown. And these guys were faced with it. Yeah. We were talking before we actually started recording, uh, one of the uh, food things, hoosh. (laughs) Hoosh. That's one of my favorite new words is Hoosh, which is like, uh, from what I can understand, is like a stew, um, but also like a hash, like hash browns or ham hash or any kind of chopped up bits kind of all grilled together. Well, a hoosh, you take all those chopped up bits, instead of frying it together and making sort of a, a crispy, you know, tasty treat, you... It's kind of like half soupy, and it sounds really so gross. It, just, it sounds like a like a stew. Yeah, but not not a hoosh. What's in that stew, Chris? No, no, no. That's the thing. It's like it's like awful, awful, like like a awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. It's it's pudding, hun. Yeah. Well, you they would grind up uh, their biscuits and throw it in the, as a sort of a thickening agent. Right. Uh, chunks of lard, chunks of you know blubber. They could you know render off of an animal. Uh, random bits of meat, sometimes salt water, and they would try to like render out some of the the salt from the salt water. Yeah, um, Actually, that'd probably be a good seasoning. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't I want don't diarrhea. Know. I mean, these are guys that are like, yeah, let's you know, we're gonna scuttle the dogs here real soon. Let's right. Get that, let's get <laughs> right. that old dog rib going. Let's get that salt water <laughs> boiling. We can get them dogs. Well, I would in think there. if you if you if you're taking salt water and boiling it, right? Mm-hmm. You're killing everything that's in it. Yes. Okay. But you're still drinking majority. But you're not just salt. drinking. Yeah. Okay. But you're you're gonna have some salt in some stew anyway. Yes. I'm just saying. No, the, I agree with you. It's not the same thing. A lot of these guys couldn't handle the amount of salt. It's an ocean. They're basically on a frozen ocean. Right. Right. But your your body can't handle so much salt at once. You get diarrhea and, oh, and dysentery, dysentery yeah. tons of other things. Right, dehydration, so, Yeah, all so that. trying to separate those things, kind of difficult. And then it you have water all around you. You can't drink it. No. Okay? Because there's so much salt water, you can't really suss out the salt from the water. Oh, And hey, Joe, here comes a 100-mile-per-hour wind. Right, <laughs> you know? right. So, uh, and, and you you also can't just... Put a pile of snow in your mouth because what happens? Dehydration again. Your, your body temperature goes way down yeah, internally. Yeah. Yep. So you're more you're cold water in your stomach. Right. You're more. Same reason you drink cold water when you're hot out. Well, when it's right, hot out. Right. To right. Pull yourself off. Reverse it. But your body has to adjust to that temperature change. So you're making your, your body more susceptible to things like hypothermia, frostbite, any number of things. So you still need. You need fuel to warm this up. You need food to to give you fuel. There's so many different like puzzle pieces to make work. That 
it, it's and you, you like you said earlier in the episode, you're not dealing with modern technology. You right. don't have any kind of luxuries that we deal with on a, on a for granted basis. Right. You know, these guys were dealing with wool peacoats. You know, at best, if yeah. it, I mean, they that not would be waterproof. like not waterproofed. Yeah. The whole their, their sleeping bags were deerskin. Deerskin, yeah. right? Oh, but reindeer, af- reindeer, reindeer. Yeah, you know, reindeer. made out of reindeer. And after those get soaking wet for a few weeks, what happens? They smell you awful. No, you all can't the dry them out, <laughs> and all the fur falls off. That and these guys would get dysentery while they're sleeping. And yeah. guess what? You just shit, shit all over bed. your fucking sleeping bag. <laughs> I shit the bed. Now, how do we clean you up? We can't wash you out because we're going to freeze you. Half of these guys, one of the Shackleton expeditions that he went on, some of the guys didn't bathe for four or five months. Well, I mean, that's not. I mean, you're used to that. I mean, that's Chris. You're right. used to that. <laughs> I know. That's happening. What to me month before. is it? It's your bathing month. <laughs> it's bath month. Already? <laughs> Already. It's already been four months. Shit. An expedition that I did not know about until about 10 minutes before you guys walked in. But they said it's the most terrible polar, polar expedition ever. Douglas Mawson's Antarctic journey. Now, I don't agree with this because only three guys went on this journey. Okay. All three of them died. Okay. But no, all, two of them died. Two of them died. Douglas Mawson made it out, apparently. And his account of the story, it kind of falls in line with the rest of them. I mean, mm. Scott's account was probably adequate or equal to this. Here's one of my other favorite parts. The pain was agonizing, and though Mertz bathed his leader's eyes with a solution of zinc sulfate and cocaine, the pair had to slow down. Wow. <laughs> Okay, here's his account. Then they marched into a whiteout, seeing nothing but grayness. I'll say it's a whiteout. Well, that might have to do with the cocaine in your eye. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. All right. That night's rations were less than palatable. Learning by experiment, Mawson found that it was worth the while spending some time and boiling the dog's meat thoroughly. Thus, the tasty soup was prepared as well as a supply of edible meat in which the muscular tissues and the gristle were reduced to the consistency of a jelly. The paws took took the longest of all to cook, but treated to lengthy stewing, they became quite digestible. (laughs) It's like pig's feet? Yes, I think so. So basically, basically, every single one of these guys in the 1900s that drove ponies and horses to the you know north and south pole they ate their animals mm-hmm. every single one of them and it was in the plan it wasn't to do an accident so. to do no, this no, yeah. no, this no, was no, fully no. intentional the whole time and you know the crazy thing is they would name them there so were litters of puppies that were born on these trips on the ships yeah and they would have a good time with these puppies and then hey guess what we're hungry <laughs> i actually have pictures of the guy holding a whole bunch of puppies oh yeah yeah the big old giant like so, mastiff woolly yeah yeah, they're great so dogs. They look like they'd be great. Oh yeah, no, companions. Taste great. Yes, they'd be great sandwiches. He's, I'm gonna name this one lamb chop, <laughs> and this one's gonna be pemmican stew, and this one's chocolate cake. <laughs> oh god, it's so gross. Oh, oh man, what is it, Lassie? You're so delicious, man. So okay, so I have a little PSA here. And this is uh, specifically because these guys had so much frostbite. Like, every single one of these guys uh, wound up, you know, having the frozen toes and everything else. So we'll talk a little bit about frostbite. So how can you avoid frostbite? Make sure your hat covers your head and your ears because your ears, they stick out, some people more than others. 
Right. And you can get frostbite on the tip of your ears really bad. Yeah, anything that's the, the furthest away from your core has a potential for frostbite. Right. Choose insulating mittens and gloves, and you don't take them off to use your smartphone, right? I don't think they had smartphones to text. back then. Are you sure? No. Well, don't take your deer-lined gloves off to check your iPod while you're in the Arctic expedition. Right. In minutes. Look, in this, minutes. This, this comes from WebMD, so it might be it might be a little newer. Dated. Yeah. So uh, don't skimp on sho- socks and shoes. Uh, especially if you're going to the North or South Pole, you want to take lots of them to change yes. because you cannot dry them. If you sweat, you need to unzip for a little while to let the you know moisture out. The, let well, the moisture was, out. That was one thing that uh, Amundsen found out through the Inuits. Traditional expeditions were wearing you know wool suits, wool underlayers, and basically packing all this stuff on their bodies. And when they would sweat, they would freeze. Turn to the popsicles. Right. So he learned from the Inuits. Uh, you would basically fare better uh, wearing basically a fur suit out of you know bear or reindeer turned inside out, where the natural furs creates a sort of a it's a layer a, a layer of air, which is the best defense against cold. Yeah, and it keeps your body temperature regulated. Right, it, it doesn't trap like, the moisture. Right. Yeah, it holds exactly. like a layer of air in between in between the two, which is like it. Like a like an air bubble inside, right. and that's why they say dress in layers. Mm-hmm. So when you go outside to go chop wood or something like that in the right. winter time, you start sweating. You take off that outer layer until that sweat kind of dissipates while mm-hmm. you're working yep. from the heat that you're building back up, yeah. and then you put the coat back on mm-hmm. after that's kind of gone and you've cooled off a little bit. Right. right. So now here's the thing: if you do get, um, if you do wind up getting frostbite, uh, your skin starts to look waxy. It'll look kind of yellowish, waxy. That is frostbite. You're killing nerves. You're killing. Necrosis is setting in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. You're killing you're, your capillaries. You're frozen. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, you have pieces of your body that are frozen, just like you would put meat in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So you want to you if you do get frostbite, you want to get indoors somewhere. You don't want to rub your skin to get it warmer. Nope. You know how a lot of the time you rub your skin. You know, you rub your hands together. Yeah, and you don't to want to put warm. hot water on it either. Yeah, you right. don't want to do that. you got to do a gradual heatening of the area. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Jason, do you want to take the rest of the Yeah, you're the, you're the uh, I tell you, that it's, it's a lot, almost like diabetes. It's peripheral, peripheral mm-hmm. sensation and circulation is lost, and it becomes a necrotic situation. And if it turns, like you said, waxy and those things, you still are salvageable. You can still turn this around, but you have to be very careful about how you go about it in that you don't expose from... One extreme to the next. You don't want to go from very cold to very hot. You'll end up killing the tissue. Yeah. Right. You have to do gradual heatening or warming of the, of the skin. If you've gone black, you know, your toes or your nose or your ears or whatever is black. You can't pretty go back. Much, yeah, it's stuck. You're, you're talking <laughs> amputation at that point. You can't go back. <laughs> so uh, if, you're, if you're not near an, an ER of some sort, which in the Arctic or Antarctic you would not be, uh, you want to put your hands or your feet, your toes, whatever it is, in warm water, about 104 degrees to 170 degrees Fahrenheit, or place a warm washcloth over the affected areas. And that's basically just above regular body temperature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About so, 10, 15 degrees yeah. above. Yeah. Uh, your skin should start to heal quickly as it thaws, but it may get red, and you, you're going to get some painful stinging. Oh, yeah. Uh, and also a pins and needles feeling. Now, I've been outside in the cold 
where I've gotten pins and needles on my skin, but I don't think I was anywhere near having frostbite. You, but you definitely felt it nipping at, oh, at, yeah, your, yeah, at yeah. your tips. You know, nipping, nipping at your tits. At your tits. <laughs> not, not your tits. Tit nipply. <laughs> but uh, if you if your skin starts to change color or become hard. Uh, or your skin stays numb and you can't feel anything, you have severe pain mm-hmm. or your, uh, when your skin thaws or your skin starts to blister, you need to go to the ER immediately. In which case they're going to cut off whatever that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They will. Woof. I don't know if they would cut it off Well, first. they're going to try to salvage it. Right. But they likely the at that point. in the water and all, right. and all that stuff. And if by that point it has gone gangrenous, Oh, if, then yeah. take everything we just said. This mm. is modern medicine telling us how to treat mm. frostbite. Mm-hmm. Now you're in a position where you have no hospital. You have no way to warm these situations up. You have no 104 degree compress. Yeah, one of the one <laughs> of the the journals is either Cook or Shackleton's uh, expedition. The doctor basically said, if animation is successful, he may keep his foot. <laughs> you know, animation. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're you're this close to talking about you know the humors, right? So that was the medicine back then. That basically they knew that it had to be warmed up and it had to be within a certain amount of time. Otherwise, yeah, you know, gangrene would set in, necrosis would set in, and it would get black and gross, and it would have to be cut off. It would fall off. It, yeah. it wouldn't fall off. You would fall off. Yeah. Your whole body would fall Pieces off. Pieces would fall off. I read one of these things about a guy who was – he was on another expedition. I want to say like his Mawson's expeditions. But his teeth froze to the point where they cracked and just fell Ooh. out. Oh, God. Oh, How painful no. is that? You, oh, my God. Your teeth just crack and – Oh, it's like glass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> How oh. terrible. Why would you ever do such a thing? I don't know. That sounds awful. So, um, okay. So I found this uh, this little – Newspaper, not not an article. It was an ad that supposedly Shackleton had put for one of his expeditions. Wait, Chris, are you talking about Sir Ernest, Ernest Shackleton? I am. I am. Ernest. He so, was knighted by the Queen. Yeah. Yeah. He was a sir. Yeah. He was a sir. Well, let, let, let me do this little part. And uh, so supposedly this was a uh, apophical newspaper advertisement that he was looking for men to go on his expedition. And I quote: "Men wanted." For hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Sir Ernest Shackleton. That sounds like our job. <laughs> <laughs> like he every day. Pretty much nailed his own post, though. I mean, like, oh, yeah. as accurate as he could be, that was it. So do you guys want to get into Shackleton's last expedition? That was the the one, yeah. That was the ad for that expedition. Yeah. Well, what, yeah. what they call the Imperial Trans Antarctic Expedition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now this was the one that he was actually trying to what get through the Northwest Passage, right? No, yes. no, 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 no. He no, was no. trying to walk from one ocean to the next. Is he was trying was? to cross across the across Antarctica from one ocean to the very next. No, no. Originally, it was trying to find a Northwest Passage. Uh, they he, failed at that. He had and a they few. Had to go overland. You okay? Maybe I've got this wrong. <laughs> well, which one <laughs> are you talking about? Sure. We've talked about Shackleton a lot. He's done. Here's the he's whole done thing. Quite a few Half these cats went both north and south. Yeah. Right. You know, like like a good man should. Boom! <laughs> 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 Woo! Ladies. Um, 
the one that I'm referring to was an expedition where he was essentially walking onto one shore of Antarctica and walking oh, across to, go, yeah. to the very next. Cross the South Pole. I yes. think the South Pole had already been found at this point. If, yes. If he I'm just correct, wanted, it was 1914 and 1916. But he wanted to traverse the entire thing. He That's wanted to saying. walk across it. He right. wanted to be the first guy to say, hey, guess what? I'm going to start here. I'm going to walk across the, the Antarctic shelf. Across, as Chris would say. All the Across. Across. And then come out the other side. And right. my boat's going to be waiting there for me. And that right. was the original plan. It didn't go anywhere close no. to plan. That's the one I'm referring to, Chris. Is that, Is that when he was on the Endeavor? That was the endeavor when okay. I got stuck okay. in the ice pack. Yes. Yep, and yes. using the ice flows for two years. Okay, <laughs> two good years. Well, the, the that's yeah. This was in nineteen fourteen, nineteen seventeen. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And this is pretty much like this is an incredible story. This is like one of the biggest adventure stories. Yeah, you're right, Jason. So the intention was to cross the Atlantic continent from one coast to the other via the South Pole. Now, do you understand why why Ernest Shackleton was knighted? This was was that post mortem? No, no, no. This was happened after it was it, one expedition. He was knighted because he came within ninety seven miles of the South Pole. He was one. So of, he was really he close was, and that was, that was on his second second expedition, expedition right. right? And so, and then at that point, they'd also climbed the only volcanic mountain. His expedition had climbed the volcanic mountain on Antarctica. And I can't remember what that mountain's called. That's like Mount Emery or something like that. Murder Horn or something. It's it's crazy. But there's an there's a volcanic mountain on on Antarctica, and they yep. climbed it. So when he got like back to should. England, they were like, yeah, "Here you go. You right. got really close. And you climbed the mountain down there. Here's a nighty." <laughs> right, right. And so by the time he returned on the the Imperial Trans Antarctic expedition, he was already a knight. Mm. He was already sir. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things too is that you know we kind of talked about the the scientific. You know, the scientists always going along. But that was one of the major things that they meant to do during all these expeditions was to, to catch temperature readings, to, 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 to look at the ice, to see what was happening. You know what I mean? The weather and patterns, all that. The, yeah. yeah. So Absolutely. The magnetic pole. Yeah, exactly. And we're, we're still looking at that kind of stuff today when we do expeditions. We're, right. we're checking on that kind of stuff to see because these are our most frozen and hardest regions to get to right. besides the bottom of the ocean. Well, and, and the cool thing is, uh, you know, with modern techniques and modern technology is we can take core samples, ice core samples, you know, from these million-year-old glaciers and find out what temperature was, you know, 100,000 years ago, what the air quality was, parts per billion, 100,000 years ago. Isn't that crazy? Just by looking at the layers of ice sediment. Right. You're like, you know? how much carbon's in the air? Yeah, all that exactly. Kind of stuff. So, yeah, that was all very, very important things, even back in 1914. So, the Endurance battled her way through a thousand miles of ice pack over a six week period. Uh, and was 100 miles or one day's sail from her destination uh, when on the 18th of January, 1915, uh, the ice closed in around her. The temperature dropped dramatically, cementing together the loose ice that was surrounding the ship, and the ship's storekeep wrote, like an almond in a piece of toffee. Mm-hmm. So that's it. The endurance was stuck. Yeah. They, they was stuck, but you know what they did? They they I think at that point they had probably twenty six man crew, something along those lines, somewhere mm-hmm. around that number. They had taken and gotten off the ship. They had broken the ice manually, and they're talking about eighteen foot thick ice, eighteen mm-hmm. feet thick ice. ice they had picks. broken it up for four hundred yards. Yeah, and then what they did was take a ramming speed at this, mm-hmm. thinking that they could break through. You know, because because 
the destination was right there. Well, and the Endurance, the ship they were on, was sort of retrofitted. It was an icebreaker. Uh, yeah. Originally, it was a fishing ship and retrofitted to be sort of an icebreaker. They did have a coal-burning engine that had a propeller. So they were, ba- you know, really sort of trying to keep the ice off of the propeller, uh, the sides of the ship. And, you know, they were making good headway. They broke apart some ice here and there, moved a little bit, broke apart some ice, moved a little bit. Finally, they ended up getting stuck for, what, like two or three months? Yeah, what the plan was was to ride it out until springtime, until the ice pack broke. Right. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Right. Wouldn't you just kind of go during the spring? I mean, I'm just saying. It just seems like you would. You also understand, they're sailing to their destination. Okay, so you're not talking like a few hours. You're talking a few months on the open ocean. Right, and the weather patterns shift. So when they got there, they thought things were going to be a lot easier than they were. Yeah, the weather patterns on both of the poles are terrible. I just find this funny that, uh, well, by the end of February, temperatures have fallen and were regularly like negative 20 degrees Celsius, which is 20 degrees below freezing. Mm-hmm. So the ship was clearly frozen in for the winter. Yeah. So what they wound up doing was, uh, because the men became very frustrated and restless, and were looking towards the boss, as they called Shackleton, mm-hmm. uh, he decided that they could just play football and hockey. Uh-huh. They would yeah. play soccer on the ice. Yeah. yeah. And you, the other part about this that makes me laugh is that at one point he had to declare that we are no longer mobile. We're turning this ship into a base. Like, right. It's not like it wasn't already a base, but now we're stationary. So right. it's just been declared that every man is kind of, we're no longer mobile, boys. We're right. going to be here for a while. We're here for a while. But the, <laughs> Just the button down. crazy thing is, is yes, they are basically stationary, but they are sitting on a slab of ice over an ocean. That's moving. That is moving. So they're not really stationary. Right. They're not stationary at all, in fact. And and as what had gone wrong with this expedition, as, as that ice pack had set in, mm-hmm. they're starting to drift further and further out. Right. And they're not... Well, any- that's the other thing is, too, that had ice flows. Right. So they had, just like you have, you know, the, what are the tectonic plates. The continental mm-hmm. shelves, yeah. You know what I mean? You, right. you had these ice, you know, sheets that were sliding over top of each other, mm-hmm. and they were actually starting to press into the hull and do damage to the hull. Mm-hmm. Right. So... At, at one point, they finally got... I mean, they had spent months on this ship. Mm-hmm. They had entertained themselves, and everything was kind of kosher. I think they even gave the name... I can't remember what the na- they named their galley, but it was something creative, and mm. it was kind of like the meeting point. Yeah, they named all three of the rowboats. They named everything. They named all right. the dogs. Like they were just so bored. And then <laughs> one night they hear this ice creaking. Yeah, you so know, it was and, like, and, and like, they, like heavy gunshot. Months at a time that they mm-hmm. had just been out there kosher. You know, yeah. we're just going to ride it out. Mm-hmm. One night they hear this ice cracking up, and then all of a sudden they wake up in the morning, and there's ten and fifteen foot slabs of ice closing in on their ship. Yeah. And at that point, you know, the hole is starting to break. They had a three-foot-thick hole on this thing. So you're talking about, you know, substantial yeah, well, that was, hole. that was by October 23rd. That's what had happened. They had, they had, you know, a big, you know, hole in the in the hull, and they used the bilge pumps to start, uh, you know, shooting the water out. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And they thought they might be able to salvage the ship, but, uh, you know, as the days progressed and as the ice progressed, they eventually realized they would lose ship. Right. So every now... Abandoned ship. Even, it sounds funny because you're on an ice pack. You're not sinking. It's, yeah. <laughs> but you are kind of, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah you're yeah. sinking very slowly. Right. 
abandoned ship, so the order was given, and you know now you've got 26 men standing on an ice pack, and there's no way home. Mm-hmm. So Shackleton puts together this idea of, well, how are we going to get out of here? Right. You know, and he starts to forward think, and all they have at this point is three rowboats, essentially mm-hmm. 20 foot boats. So they start to retrofit the boats um, and sail to these islands that are in the area. Or hope to sail these islands. Right. You know? Elephant Island, I think, is where they ended up landing. That's where they ended up landing. Right. And they landed all their crew on Elephant Island. Mm. But it was a real inhospitable place. Yeah, it was all like sheer cliffs and tiny little beaches. And even then, the, the you know, frozen ocean ice packs are encroaching on the beach. Right. You know, being pushed up on the beach. So how you can't just expect salvage nobody's coming for you no they don't they they, they've written you off a long time ago yeah you ain't back i found something on on, um on april 12th shackleton found that instead of making good progress westwards like they thought they were they actually had traveled 30 miles to the east East. as a result of drifting ice yeah right now the thing that cracked me up is the day that they landed on eastern island it had east uh, elephant elephant island it had been 497 days since they had stepped foot on solid land. Yeah. That's almost 500 days. That's a year and a half. Crazy. Of being on a ship or on ice. Right. Now, the the, the thing that makes Shackleton a man amongst men is what he did next, <laughs> which was essentially say, all right, we have to, we have to get out of here. We, right. We're going to, we got to do something. We got to do something. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take part of this crew and mm-hmm. we're going to sail on three boats Across. To the closest island, which is eighty some mile, no, three hundred miles away. That's where to they, South Georgia, eight hundred, seven hundred and twenty miles away. Oh my goodness! In open boats, yeah. And they were saying the seas that they ran into were forty to fifty foot waves. Yeah, in yeah. an open boat. And if you ever see, if you look at a, a map from Elephant Island to South Georgia Island. <laughs> you're you're talking like this little tiny pinpoint right. in the giant ocean. So if you overshoot, you're done. You're done. And you know yeah. what's there on South Georgia Island? A whaling station. On the a small on the opposite side. Opposite side. There's a whaling station <laughs> that you might be able to hit. Right. I mean, that, that literally at that point, that's the closest civilization you have. Right. So he takes and puts. I think it was five, ten guys in a six, six, six guys in a boat. Yeah. In three different boats. Yeah. And they're like, see you, boys. Well, they they, <laughs> no, they they fitted one boat with a couple of masts and sort of a, a covering. Right. Um, and they were rubbing seals blubber and everything else to waterproof this thing. Right, right. So he took six guys to try to make it to South Georgia Island. They were on the ocean for, I think, 15 days, something yeah. like that. In huge seas. Yeah, huge seas. Ice. Freezing, freezing temperatures. temperatures. <laughs> Almost no food. <laughs> you know? And they finally... They actually the hit the mark. 15 days while well, trying to get into the bay. Uh, it, you know, it's all these jagged rocks and ice. And They had to sit there and look at the damn island for like three days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to wait for a storm to... St- to calm down, to make it in past the rocks. And then when they get there, guess what? You're They're on the, the other <laughs> end of the island. And what's in, inside? They said, that, they said that the mountaineering that these guys had to do, this was a, tra- a pass that had never been traversed right. in the first place. So he says, okay, I'm going to leave two of you guys at the shore. Mm-hmm. We're taking a three-man team. We're going to walk across this island. Right. And they had 50 feet of rope. They mm. had to do mountaineering like on the, on like the level of the Swiss Alps. Right. Like, 4,000 feet up. They are, yeah. with 50 feet of rope, 
They make it into the whaling station, and the guy that's manning the station knows Shackleton. He's an old acquaintance. Right. <laughs> but but he, he meets the uh, the manager of the station first. No, no, it was a, it was a dockhand. And basically, he says, where's the manager of the station? Uh, I would like to speak to him. And, and the, the dockhand goes into the manager and says, there's a bunch of weird-looking guys out here. They say they know you, and they say they came across the island. And everybody's like, across the island? What? <laughs> how, do you, how do you do that? <laughs> they said that he was an old acquaintance, and he right. looked at – Shackleton said, I know you. And mm-hmm. he said, I know your voice. Right. And he said, I'm Sir Ernest Shackleton. Mm-hmm. And the guy broke down in tears because yeah. he didn't recognize him at all. Well, it was all grizzled and, you know, disheveled. He'd spent almost years at sea. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. in the Antarctic. Like, yeah. And then, okay, so the moral of the story is not all these things turn out bad. Shackleton was able to man a rescue party within mm-hmm. three days and go back, back to... The, to the, Elephant Island. Well, the the first part of South Georgia to pick right, up the to go three pick guys. up the other two guys that they had left behind. Two guys, and then make it all the way back to Elephant Island. He basically lost no man. No, he picked up twenty two men that he had left four and a half months ago mm-hmm. in subarctic conditions, and, and everybody's all, alive, and they all fucking made it. Well, I think, is that crazy. I think there were a few toes lost. Apparently, uh, there was a... Yeah, well, they were still alive. <laughs> They're still there. They're still there. You're I mean... not talking Scott, who basically tromped in, tromped out, and they all died. <laughs> you know what I mean? How do you leave four... For four and a half months, 22 men in Antarctica I well, that's with after, no supplies? That is after a year and a half stuck on... Like an ice shelf the entire time. I know. Exactly. With um, no ship, so. no shelter. A moving ice shelf, which you basically have to move camp because, oh shit, the ice is moving. Let's move camp. <laughs> it's coming for us. <laughs> yeah. He, he woke up one night and realized there was a crack forming in the ice right in the middle of his tent. You know? Is there? Is there... These stories... Tell me that I'm not doing much with my life. <laughs> Listen, uh, I've been listening to the LibriVox story of South which is, you know, based on the last expedition of Sir Ernest Shackleton. Uh, but Give him the right, South, rights he deserves, Joe. South is really, really good. It, it, most of it is, is it's a lot of dry British navigational stuff, you know, 70 degrees south, 40 degrees west. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that. So if you can get past that, the, the stories that are told through the diaries of Shackleton and his crew... It's a great story. This is, has to be one of the paramount stories of human existence to this point. I would think so. I, you're I, I you're found, going to the extremes. Yeah, I found a, a BBC thing on Netflix where a group of, I think it's five or six dudes, basically it's called Chasing Shackleton. They try to recreate the experience. So with modern technology and everything, but um, what they do is they recreate the, the boat. They recreate... The entire journey, the timelines from Elephant Island, but they still don't give up that GPS. No, 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 no. They, they've, <laughs> they've got a. They've got a. Here's the thing: is because of the Antarctic government or governing body, mm-hmm. they have to have a safety net. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a basically a large whaling type boat ready uh, shadowing them. Yeah, sure. You know, through the entire journey. Uh, they do have radio comms and they have uh, a shadow beacon. So they can be found if anything really bad happens. But basically they're trying to recreate to the, you know, the, the closest, the closest 
um, thing they can to Shackleton's journey. Now, I've only gotten to the point where they've landed on South Georgia Island. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what how they fare doing the, the overcross. Right. You know, but they made the journey from Elephant Island to South Georgia, I think, in yeah, three days less than Shackleton did. Oh, so it was kind of the same time. I mean, yeah. it sounds like the same timeline. You're talking a sailing boat. And you're you're talking like a 15-foot, basically, dinghy. Open hole. It's a dinghy. Yeah, it's a dinghy. <laughs> you're on a dinghy you're on in a the dinghy. heavy seas. And then when you land, hey, guess what? Now you got to be a freaking Swiss mountaineer. Right, right. Good so luck. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good thing. The whole story blew me away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and it, 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 the thing about it was it was lost... For generations, it was lost. Yeah. It was a story that wasn't real well-versed. The, Scott's story was a lot more in the publications. You know, right. The English people had looked at him as kind of a... Uh, National hero. A, a hero. Yeah. And then, you know, but as the decades went on, they, it kind of waned. His mm-hmm. his reputation turned into something of like a, uh, a showboat or... Well, a lot of these guys. I mean... Look at every single year. If you look up Arctic expeditions, the names are the same. Well, yeah, there are a lot of them are the same, but there are a lot of them. There's a lot of them. People tried, you know, almost every single year on this list to get to some unforsaken, you know, godforsaken place because no one had done it before. You know, but that drive, that whole thing right there is the is the question. How mm-hmm. many of us would really give up modern day convenience, which in their time might have been not anywhere part of what we're doing, right, but still, it's right. convenient to go to a place that was inhospitable, mm-hmm. knowing you probably there's a fifty fifty shot at best that you're going to survive this. Probably thing. less than fifty. <laughs> but if you come back, your glory is going to be so great, and if you don't come back, you're still going to be glorified. Right. It's 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 almost a suicidal approach to life, and that's what Shackleton said. It's a suicide mission trying to get from Elephant Island to South Georgia. He's like, wow, we, but, but we have to try, it. and nobody died. It we wasn't have... suicide at all. No, no, but that's what they thought. That's what he thought. He's it, like, this is a suicide mission, but we have to try to save these men. Given all the parameters, he was exactly right. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I wanted to mention too that, and we kind of got to it, but we never quite finished it, but. The uh, the idea of the Northwest Passage, so that people, mm. when leaving Europe, you didn't have to go around the Cape of uh, uh, what is it, the Cape, Cape Horn? Of Good, Cape, Cape Horn. Good, I thought it was the Cape of Good Hope. No, no, Cape that's Horn. Africa. Yeah. So anyway, the Northwest Passage. You were talking about the Northwest Passage, so you didn't have to go down south around the other one, whatever we determined Cape that Horn. to be. Cape Horn. Cape Horn. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I got it confused with the Cape of Good Hope. Because right. that's the other one that's at the tip of Africa. And they almost look the same. So, One's more well, pointy. One's yeah. Cape Horn is South America. Cape of Good Hope is Africa. South yeah. Africa is, yeah. is yeah. a tip. So, But uh, just the tip. <clears throat> just the tip. Yeah. <laughs> All we're talking so, about is tip. So the point was is that going through the Northwest Passage was like a, you know, a godsend if we ever could do it. Yeah, because you're talking six months versus two months. Right. Three months. You could pass you know? overland into Asia. Right. By just navigating this traverse, but you're you're cutting your time in half, basically. Right. Yeah, but um, because of all the ice, it's just it, it wasn't really able to do it. Now you said, who was the first person to, uh, to actually do it? Roland Amundsen. Amundsen. What, what year was that? That was between 1903 and 1905. He was the oh, really? only one. He he made it through first. Yeah. Using the very simplistic method of light ship, small ship, small crew. You know, and small stores. The Inuits. Yeah. And, and and his 
you know, research with the Inuits, it was, he found a way through and he was the first one. Uh, there was a whaling ship that met him on the other side, not met him, but they ran into a whaling ship and they're basically like, you know, hail, you know, and basically he said, oh, you must be, uh, you know, Amundsen because they knew they were, he was on that journey and they made it through. Wow. So, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> one of the things that I just found out now is that, um, the Northwest Passage is uh, is pretty well open mm-hmm. because of climate change. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Uh, in the past five years, if you look at satellite imaging... It's uh, a wide open ocean right yeah, now. Yeah, a bunch of the old, million-year-old, you know, uh, slabs of ice have melted right. by triple... It's just a big old loosey goosey. You just you know, ride on, ride on through. Yeah, yeah. But these guys back in the day, we didn't have carbon emissions. You know, and yeah. now they're just well. You know, box. those those motorized sledges. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. They really, they really. I mean, if they would have lasted a little, you know further. what? Some guy was like, sold those guys. <laughs> so my money. Yeah, he made his he made his cash right. It would be thirty four years before someone else made it through the Northwest Passage. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, you got to think. like, how, I, 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 Someone I, started an expedition, and it took 34 years. <laughs> Most of these expeditions take a long time. They so, do. I mean, years at a time. That's that's the messed up part, is these guys would sign on and be like, yeah, I'll be a sailor Well, like you. the Shackleton thing, you know, 1914 to 1917. Yeah. For one expedition. Well, well that's, that's, that's one of the things that gets, that really is crazy to me, you know, it, you have like a naval officer and, you know, you know, during, you know, you're talking the 1900s, you know, he'll say goodbye to his wife and she'll support his expedition. And then he either doesn't come back because he freezes to death <laughs> or he comes back with, you know, with like two toes left. And, right. and you know, so eight years man. later or whatever, you yeah. know what I mean? It's just it's like the craziest Craziest. And then stuff. you know what the messed up part is? Most of them want to go back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm gonna, oh, they've been institutionalized. Yeah. Now we're going to go try the northern side. You know, yeah. like, it's just. Well, Shackleton, I mean, he did what? Uh, three or four expeditions? Well, yeah. And yeah. Amundsen was just a. He was a beast at expeditions. Yeah. I mean, like. Yeah. And, they're, and it's not like, let's go to the Amazon. Let's yeah. go through a nice warm climate. No, they wanted to fucking go through the poles. You know, at various different, you know, places. Let's go to the most freezing, inhospitable place we can find to go to this place or go to that place. I'd be willing to wager that these guys back in the day were better than most mountaineers. Now, I I appreciate a mountaineer. Right. Somebody that will climb like K2 or or Mount Everest. You know, it, it, it is what it is. It's a big hard obstacle but you know mm. your route you've got planned out routes you know how to approach these things mm. these were guys that went down there with no real basis they were the first to do it mm-hmm. trendsetters yeah <laughs> trends and they knew that they would at least be gone for years yeah and probably forever in yeah. some cases well, they've they, resigned they, themselves when they would make that. when they would make plans to go to the south pole what was it scott's expedition when he made a plan to go to the south pole you know, he planned on it taking five months once he hit, you know, the ice. Once once yeah. they got there, he planned on it taking five months to get there. Right. You right. know, of a slog to get to the South Pole. Like, that's freaking amazing that you would have that kind of perseverance, you know? But you got to figure what's going on in the 1900s, early And 1900s. then you get there and somebody not, else is... Not uh, much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then you got things like in 1992, Helen 
fire. She does a one woman trek to the poles. Okay. You know what I mean? That's given, also, you know, uh, modern technology and stuff. But, you know, like that still happens. People still try to conquer these things. And I don't even want to take out the garbage in December. <laughs> right. <laughs> I read that in 2005, somebody was the first person to drive across in the Antarctic. Okay, so now what, we're able Audi? to put... I don't know. Maybe a Subaru <laughs> all-wheel drive. You know, but now we're able to put, you know, cars on the land and everything's kosher. Right, and that right. kind of... It honestly, I feel like it, it really cheapens what these guys oh, had yeah. to do. Because, yeah. you know, your modern convenience, you're, you probably have satellite radio the whole goddamn time. You have heat in you your car. You have heat. You have four-wheel drive. Hat. You have all these things. You, you, what throw, those you guys throw a pack of through, socks from Walmart in the back. Just to make sure. And no one's eating hoosh. No one's eating hoosh. <laughs> I'd like to see somebody go down there in a reindeer coat, you know, and, right. and spend two years. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, watch that BBC thing, Chasing Shackleton. It's got to be good. I mean, it, if they're trying to read, if they're trying to adapt to what had they're been done. They're eating hoosh. They're well, eating hoosh. You know, I, I know you were saying, you know, she made the one woman track and everything else, but there are still problems. Uh, and plenty of people run into problems now, you know, still to this day get frozen and stuck in ice. Oh, like K2 so, and K1, like you can every have the year. Best of intentions. Yeah. Every year people die. Mountains. People die on so, those mountains. Do you remember in 2013, there was actually a ship that got stuck in the Antarctic ice? It was a Russian ship and it had 52 scientists and tourists. And they had to be rescued from the, from the iceberg, from the ice ship. So, again, so where it, was, it got... It got encased. In. It got stuck in the ice. And wow. they, do you know where the rescue came from? Was it like a helicopter or another ship that sailed? Well, here I'll tell you. It was actually uh, Australian, French, and Chinese icebreakers that directly went there. Wow. So there was a French icebreaker that went there first, but that the French ship was actually way too small to be able to break through the ice. Sounds so they, typical. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh la la. So they had to send Australian, French, Chinese, and ice. Chinese icebreakers, I believe in American, I, are, I think we only have one icebreaker ship, like one really hard. Well, I know we depend on the Canadians to get through the northern part. I think so. Yeah, yeah. they have all the icebreakers up north. Yeah. Are, but they're old Russian ships. Yeah, well. <laughs> I you know. But we had a, we did, we actually had a icebreaker that was sent there too. Now eventually it was, uh, so it was um, the U.S. Coast Guard heavy icebreaker, the Polar Star, was sent to Sydney to rescue the um was sent from Sydney to rescue the Russian and Chinese ships because they both got stuck. <laughs> Hold on, boys. Hold on, boys. We got wait. this. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. So they sent relief. They uh, sent three ships. None and, of them made it until America showed And they all got stuck, yeah. America. Well, actually, what happened with the, the Russian and Chinese ship both wound up breaking free of the ice before the Americans got there. And uh, the Australian ship uh, continued resupplying its resupplying mission to Australia's Arctic base, uh, which was its plan in the first place. So, I mean, it, it, it so yeah, the, it, you know, the, this Russian ship still got stuck, and the Australians wound up, you know, having Save a helicopter go over Save and bring the them over to the Australian <laughs> ship. So the Australian ship did it, you know what I mean? Even though the Americans came right to the rescue, they, we tried, right, you know what right. I mean? But they, yeah, but you know, the Chinese uh, ship uh, got out on time. Before if we you got look there. back at the early expeditions, the Australians were not far behind the Norwegians and the English as oh, far yeah. as getting down south and trying to find the poles. Yeah, and exploring that what area. Was the, what was the one guy uh, started with an M? 
Yeah, Moro or Moro. Yeah. yeah, he was the guy who we gave the dog testament about. You know, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. His whole party died except for him. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, here's the thing: is like, well, he he became a like a like a like an Australian like exploring hero. Yeah, when yeah, he got yeah. Back of, course. Well. So, yeah. of course. So, well, but a lot of these things like Chile and uh, Norway and Australia, they all became you know beacons back in the day for refueling and restocking and. You know, uh, shoring up your ship. Like, those were the places you went to, you know, before you hit the poles. Right, you would before go you got to, to the real extremes, it right. was a stepping stone. Right, exactly. You would go to Australia to, to retrofit. You'd go to this place. You'd go to that place. I don't know. They're, they're all throughout. So finding a, you know, a British person or an Australian person on someone's crew. Not really un- yeah, yeah. unheard of. It's not unheard of. So I have a just another neat little story. So this was uh, the story of the Ross Sea Party, um, and uh, the, there was crew members. It was an ill-fated expedition in 1915 uh, from New Zealand, and it was an Antarctic expedition. And uh, basically, what happened was, as they went out on the Aurora, uh, was the name of their ship. Uh, they they basically pulled up onto the ice, and the Aurora drifted out to sea during a blizzard, leaving them completely stranded and forced to inhabit an, an, an abandoned hut. No, uh, they were, weren't they the, um, they were the supply depot drop ship for the Shackleton? They might have been. I, I didn't Expedition? really get, yeah. It's, I think they were. I think yeah. they were, they were supposed to go on the other side. That's where they were going to meet them after their trans right. Antarctic journey. Right. So they were supposed to do the depot drops on the other side of Antarctica to do the drops. Mm. And, but they they never made yeah. it. <laughs> so basically, uh, you know, they stayed in this abandoned hut and they were lost for years and nobody knew what happened to them. So New Zealand's Antarctic Heritage Trust, uh, they actually fa- went to this specific site to try and look for them. Mm-hmm. And they found 22 unprocessed photographic negatives that were stuck in a block of ice a hundred years after they were after they were lost what yeah so yeah here's some of the the different photos because i I know shackleton had a photographer and you guys can you can look online and you can find photos and images from the endeavor shackleton expedition one of the things that they found in the ice recently like within the last two years if i'm correct was a bottle of scotch from Shackleton's expedition. Woo! So you're talking about almost a hundred year old bottle of scotch that wow. was buried in the ice for all those years. They've pulled it. I think they even auctioned it off. If I'm right, I, really? I, I might not be right I, about the I auction. Wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. But could you imagine getting scotch from 1914? I mean, like that was stuck in Antarctic ice and it had such significance. That'd be awesome. You're absolutely right. The the uh, the Ross party, the Ross Sea party. They were um, some scientists that were there to help out the Shackleton's head scientists. Right, right. So, yeah, they had dropped off some of the team members of Shackleton's party uh, at um, the McMurdo Sound in Cape Evans. Yes. So, yeah, that, they, were, they were all attached They were the, well. the secondary unit yep. to go on the other side of the island. Or continent. To meet them on the other side, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think they went from the south atlantic they were trying to go to either the south pacific or the south indian ocean mm. one of the two they were going to traverse across they never even made it close no Dude, they didn't make it on <laughs> no. shore for the most part right. yeah. <laughs> basically we got stuck in the ice but yeah they found i think they found the endurance's hull 
mm -hmm. they were able to pull up what was in there, and there was a bottle of scotch. Was like, wow, that's crazy. I'd love to drink that. Cold brood. <laughs> <laughs> Are there actual elephants on Elephant Island? Because I'm looking at a picture of it, and it looks really icy to have elephants. No, no, it was, it was actually named after elephant seals. Oh, okay. Yeah. Whoosh! Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 so um, I still haven't seen this. I, I I actually looked for it on Netflix. The Shackleton dramatization. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh. Uh -huh. Do you remember him from the uh, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? He oh, played Frankenstein. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, okay. he's he's like a pretentious douchebag <laughs> in real life. Uh, so apparently he put his, uh, his name know, on the Shackleton dramatization. I think he directed that as well as yeah. acted in it, but I still haven't seen it. It's not on uh, Netflix. So have you guys seen a picture of rolled out roll rolled Amundsen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he looks like a real fucking piece of work. Man. Have you seen Shackleton and yeah. his whole crew? Yeah. I'm like that. I would fucking follow that guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> that guy looks a, fucking right. And amongst men. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm taken back by these guys. They have so much more motivation than I ever did in my life. Well, here's the thing: it's like I've been camping in cold weather. I've been camping in hot weather. I can't even imagine. No, you know what I mean. I like, slept in a snow pit one time in my life in in Boy Scouts. Yeah, we I, dug a snow I did cave. As well, yep. You've both been to Canada. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been yeah. to Alaska, but not since I was a little tiny baby boy. But the, you know? that's good enough. You know, like, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> you I have know no mean? desire. I have no clue. To go any further north I, or I, south. I'd love to go up to the mountains. Happens. I'd love to go to the mountains. Antarctica, there's no mountains. It's just ice. It's yeah, just it's ice. Flat, white, There's a glacier. snowy death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's a glacier. These guys walk 2,000 miles across the goddamn continent that yeah. is just ice. Yeah. But imagine, I mean, to... To actually make it to the top or the bottom of the world. No, it would no, be again, awesome. No, That's, that would be a, uh, like a great thing to put on my resume. It's a great story. It's a great resume. Probably yeah. get you laid. <laughs> It'll get you laid. It's a great if you on make your resume. it back with all your toes and but your penis intact. Is it oh, really speaking worth of uh, you know missing body parts, yeah, um, we are drinking tonight the Heavy Seas Peg Leg Imperial Stout. And here's the thing: is that on a lot of these expeditions. One of the alcohols they would have was stouts. Was a stout. Mm -hmm. And they would also lose toes and other appendages. So, yeah. so hence peg, the leg, peg leg stout, it works well. <laughs> I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. We always try to find a beer that matches up. It's and a I, theme. Couldn't, I mm -hmm. couldn't find any like Polar Express beer or anything there, like that. There is a, a company that makes. Well, of course, you know, the other thing about these polar expeditions is their, their months are completely flipped. So when you're going into. What we would call summertime, it is their winter time. Yeah, you know. So our winter white is actually their summer ale. <laughs> <laughs> There's a company that makes a Shackleton beer. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Uh, they make actually three different kinds. It's called Shackleton Design Manufacturing. So they make a rich golden ale. It's called the Snuggery, and that's. For the 22 of Shekelu's men, men that lived more than four months on the bleak shores of Elephant Island, they also make a light golden ale with a citrus tang called South, uh, which is 
Shackleton returned from his expedition in 1917. Uh, and they also make a red premium bitter called The Boss, which is what everybody calls yeah, they call Shackleton. Them the they call yeah. him The Boss. So apparently they also make one that is a full-bodied strong ale called Nimrod based on Shackleton's second expedition to the South Pole where he made it 97 miles uh, but didn't really get to the mark. To the Nimrod? What's the, is that like? That was the ship. Oh, okay. The Nimrod the, the was Nimrod. the ship. Uh, Sounds they, like a bad name for a ship. Well, back then, that was it's pretty awesome. The name, yeah. yeah. Me. <laughs> uh, they make an a chocolatey old ale called the Endurance, based on the Endurance, the ship. And yeah, I might have to order some of these. I'm just sound for, like a like for a, later like, uh, perusing. Sounds like a good beer to have on a cold night. I'm but reading it, about Amundsen. And uh, the sentence that I just read was, during this time, Amundsen participated in work outdoors, such as sleigh rides and hunting, because he had suffered numerous injuries. He had a broken arm and had been attacked by polar bears. I would think that, yeah, you would get attacked by polar well, bears every once in a while. Amundsen pretty much just took... <laughs> I mean, he really went from, like, here to there. Yeah. In my book. <laughs> The man found the South Pole and then got attacked by polar bears. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, so it looks like this is an English company. Um, it's called the Shackleton Vital Mental Medicine, and it's a beer. Yeah, if you guys can find it, oh, I send totally, us some. Uh, yeah, please. And uh, <laughs> uh, I totally forgot as well about uh, At the Mountains of Madness. Have you guys ever listened to that H.P. Lovecraft story? Oh, yeah. Got Bringing that. it back to the H.P. It was his longest work that he ever had. Yeah. And it, uh, basically it's about a polar expedition to Antarctica mm-hmm. uh, where many people wind up dying yeah. uh, while he goes out on a on a plane and they find some very strange alien artifacts in the middle of the, of a snowstorm on a gigantic mountain. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of goes on from it's there. It's nothing like that horrible movie. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, well, that was actually a Carpenter movie, right? Yeah. That was at the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. No, it, this is at the Mountains of Madness. Yes. So it's actually a little bit more like, uh, The Thing. Yeah, very it's, much like Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's, it's, and I believe that Carpenter said that The Thing was based on, not based on the story, well, but it was definitely a. Uh, it originally, Carpenter's version is based on a 1950s movie called what is it the thing from outer space the thing from outer space which was based on you know the lovecraft story the lovecraft story yeah yes so you know you you have a a a lot of homages there Mm -hmm. you know what i mean but uh yeah that's actually a pretty good story and you can listen to that on libravox and uh i listen to the hp literary podcast where they kind of go through it and parcel it out and tell you Mm -hmm. what it's all about and that was really good too Oh, sorry. That beer is from Endurance Brewing Company. Is that out of England, I would suspect? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, they do love their history. It's where all, it's where all history comes from, is England. <laughs> Seriously, we don't have, we, you know, 50 um, years, yeah, we, right. we bury under a car park, you know? We go back to, like, at best... The 1800s. I know yeah. we go back for a nap, but nobody really cares beyond that. 
<laughs> but I did try to find some some Shackleton beer, and I lucked out, so I, I wasn't able to find it. But I may order some, and we'll have it on a later episode. That would yeah. be cool. Yeah. 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 All right, Curiosos. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And Jason, thank you. Uh, no, thank you all. For joining thank us. I always, I always love doing history episodes, because I know you like to be on them. I yeah. love the history episodes, especially especially them. since this one had to do with losing feet. Uh, it had <laughs> yeah. to lose do with losing feet, eating dogs. I mean, you like frozen tundra. Do- you like I love it, it all. Do you like a, the yeah. eating dogs. I, you know, Should I'm into it. I really yeah. am. All right. I mean, hey, whatever, whatever floats your boat. I like me some hoosh. Hoosh. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the Curioso Podcast. You can tweet us at Curioso Podcast. You can email us feedback at thecurioso.com. You can Facebook us, facebook.com backslash thecurioso podcast. Check out our merchandise on zazzle.com backslash curioso podcast. You can also check out our videos, youtube.com backslash curioso podcast. On the left-hand side of thecurioso.com, you can help support the show by clicking on our donate link. And if you're a real Curioso, we need you to go on and give us a great five-star review on iTunes. It will help us get more listeners, and it'll make you feel good about yourself. That'd be a dog hoosh? I guess. And to everyone, a good night. <laughs> Unless you're on Antarctic shores, then <laughs> fuck you. Hope for the best. <laughs> Hope for the best. <laughs> There's no search party. Dog meat. <laughs>